Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hey, Moto America fans. Um, I'm already laughing, actually, because our guest today is is truly one of the good guys of the sport. And... Uh, I was actually just telling him how how much I miss him, and uh, and he actually says he misses us too, Sean. So that's pretty cool. But uh, our guest today is is going to be Ben Bostrom. Um, he he needs little introduction except for you guys that are you know 15 years old. But uh, he was an AMA Superbike champion in 1998. Ironically, I don't know if ironically is the right right word or coincidentally. You can get those confused easily, you know, Sean. But ironically. <laughs> He didn't win a race in 1998, but he won the championship. Then he goes to Europe in 2000, and he wins six races, five in a row, and doesn't win the championship. That's crazy. So we're, we're going to talk to him about that. But um, Ben Bostrom's our guest. Uh, he's also won a 2008 Supersport Championship. He's won a Supermoto Championship. He's won an X Games Gold Medal in Supermoto. He's ridden as a MotoGP wild card. He's won the Race Across America cycling event with some teammates. Um, he, I mean, the guy's, he, he's dabbled in everything thing and succeeded in basically everything that he's ever tried. There might be some stuff that he can tell us about that he's tried that he hasn't succeeded in, but I don't know what they are. So let's, uh, well, Sean, let me talk, let me talk to you for a minute first. How are you? I know it's tough times. You're stuck in your house like I am, but you're used to being stuck in your house. Yeah, it seems like nothing changed except for we're not going to the track, but a guy that works from home and produces content, I'm still doing that all the time, except now my wife, who's a teacher, is home with me all the time, and she's on schooling her students online, so we're both like interrupting each other. We quiet down. I got to get this done. So yeah, we got to go back to racing one of these days. How, um, many, um, how many pairs of pajamas do you have? Uh, well, I've got a, I've got a new, a pair of New York Giants pajamas that I only wear on game nights. But oh, other Jesus. than that, I'm, I'm not quite as Swedish as Bostrom is. Uh, I, I do wear, wear some tidy whities, but I usually am not a pajama guy. So a lot of times yeah. I sleep in my clothes too. It just happens. I just give up on the day and end up like sleeping wherever I am. That happens quite a bit. I end up just working for half the day and whatever I was wearing to bed. And so when I wake up naked, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Hey, so I want to, this is a huge preamble for, for Ben and he deserves it for the type of guy he is. But I do want to say, and Paul, you know, we, we talked a few weeks ago when we had Jensen Beeler on, we were talking about how the, the old 883 class and how people didn't think initially when those things were on in road racing, that you know they were like what the, what are we doing here these these harleys that need their, their engines rebuilt you know after every race or whatever but yet it launched careers of aaron yates and certainly ben and eric were known for racing those bikes and you know it, it got it got uh ben and eric at least in road racing kind of where they started and it's ironic that it ended up you know um ben went on to race v-twin super bikes with ducati he had that string, that run in World Superbike, you're, like you're talking about. He was on a V-twin Ducati when he won as a wild card at Laguna Seca. And speaking of Laguna Seca and V-twins and where Ben Bostrom started, he's, his career has kind of come circular back to V-twins again. Ben, welcome to the podcast. And tell us, if you would, this great announcement about you at Laguna Seca 
with a V twin engine bike. Well, I don't know if it's a great announcement, but uh, hello everybody. It's been a while, and uh, feels feels good to hear these two guys' voices. Seriously, when I heard Paul jabbering in the background, I heard to talk to you the other day, Sean. But like, I was like, man, I, I miss that guy. The V twin thing, it's yeah, kind of back to my roots. But that that's supposed to be for fun, you know. You go out there. There's always going to be some asshole who's going to build up too big of a bike and like make the thing like too competitive and lap us. But the rest of us got purple rain blaring and we're it's for fun you know how fast can you stop an 800 pound bike not very fast so it's i mean it's for fun like that's that's the thing it's to go back out there and do it again i was trying to convince my brother and it took me like i don't know six or seven minutes because he's like i don't know ben i'm like look this is for fun he's like ah some asshole is gonna build up a nice bike and want to go out there and do some uh 131s around Laguna on it. I'm like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but you know, and if it does, who cares? Dude, we're not racing them. So let, let me jump in on this for a minute. So what Ben is talking about is it's our King of the Baggers Invitational. It's going to be during our Laguna Seca weekend, July 10th through 12th. And Ben is actually going to ride one of the bikes. He's going to be on uh, the fueling parts bike, which I did a story on earlier this week. It's 124 cubic inch monster of a bagger bike it's it's actually a 2019 harley davidson road glide and yes ben is going to go through the corkscrew with his feet in front of him and probably not drag knee but certainly is going to drag bags or or floorboards or something so um how's that going to work for you ben i i know you're going to have some fun but anything anything you do you're probably competitive about it so you're going to want to be at the front aren't you well normally yes but I'll ride the bike to its ability and that's it. That's it. I still got like my job, professional dad. So I don't, I don't go out there and lay myself out. I've always had this theory. My dad taught us this when we were kids. It's never worth winning if it, if it basically wrecks you for the rest of your life. You know, he's like, there's way more to do than race motorcycles. These are for fun. And we could do this to our 80 as long as you, you know. And so that became a little bit of a, probably the way of life because when I was younger, like I, I was that little, like, uh, God, a little bit of like a John Kaczynski type. When I was a little kid, my brothers used to hate me. Cause I was like, I had to win everything, you know? And then at some point you get hurt enough and you listen to your dad and you're like, yeah, you know, man, that was, that was pretty fun. I didn't have to win that, but it's hell of a lot nicer when you win, you know, I, it's, a, it's different. Like, that's why the bagger thing's interesting. Like when I, when, you know, I get lucky enough and win a race, like I, I didn't like doing like big show off wheelies and burnouts. I'm like, dude, somebody had, somebody had to, you know, build that motor. Let's not, let's not do a burnout. The only time you do burnouts when you're racing the 883, the thing's only allowed to make 65 horsepower and you're worried that you're going to go over the number. So you do a big ass burnout to mushroom those valves and knock <laughs> the thing back a couple of horsepower. So you pass tech. <laughs> That's the truth. Ben, ben, when's the last time you when's the last time you raced a motorcycle? Uh well I tried to pretend I still knew how to ride this winter before Anaheim won with Justin Barsha to go yeah. get some go have fun with him and you know it's always fun to race around with the boys and I thought I still knew how and I clipped his tire and I fell off and I haven't really been able to run since. And so and I'm and dude, I follow you guys. I don't follow you, Sean, but I I see Crothers runs, you know, he gets out there. There's a what I call the best male dating site in the world is called Strava. And we go out and like you, I mean, dude, you can hook up with any, any guy you want around the world. Well, or lady, but like you, you know, you go in there and you log in, you kind of follow each other and you're like, Ooh, nice job. You make little comments on their runs or like, you know, it's, and I've 
been trying to run, but it just doesn't work. It's all because I thought I was still fast. You see the problem? Yeah. Yeah. 45 years old, things, you know, maybe if you did it day in and day out, but because you don't, you're just kind of, you're, you're there, you're quick. I mean, you're still going to beat the 99%, but you're not that last 1% anymore. And it's, that's no. called reality. Ben, how did you get involved in this? Did somebody from Fueling contact you or how, how did it all come about? Because we don't, we don't even know. I found out earlier this week when I was writing the story, they had in the notes, it said rider Ben Bostrom. And I was like, what? So how, what happened? How'd that, how'd that go? I don't know. To be honest, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember if somebody got a hold of me, found my number through Instagram or like, I, I don't even know how they called initially. And I was like, I, you know, let me, let me roll this around a little bit, but it could be fun. And then I started thinking about what Lavin always does. And he always says yes to everything. And that kind of makes his life. Otherwise, you know, we'd, we'd be some bored dads. So I go, yeah, I'll do it. Let me, let me talk my brother into it. And that's, and that's basically how it went. And then, you know, every couple of weeks we, you know, the boys give me a shout, Hey, what do you think? You know, we still on it. this got this virus going around and we got this and that, but we're still going to do it. Yeah, I'm in. Dude, I said yes. Let's go. It's fun. <laughs> well, so that's another scoop too uh, that I didn't know about. We actually, so Paul is going to be doing a press release on the uh, riders. It hasn't been announced yet. So you're the first rider we are aware of. Um, it sounds like, so is Eric also being part of this? Well, I don't know. I got I to gotta do some more talking to him, you know? He, okay. <laughs> he was, he was kind of cool. Now I, I'll put money. He will do it. Let's, let's yeah. say that. Yeah, I mean, come on, that's a fun trip. We go up there. You know what? This this I'll never forget. Eric Eric flies back. He's been in lockdown in Brazil for a while. Comes home, and I go, look, I'm going to do this like eight hour endurance race with Chris Clark up at Miller Motorsports. You want to do it? He's like, oh Ben, I haven't been on a bike for a few years. You know this, that, and the other. I'm like, who cares? Let's load up our mountain bikes. We'll drive to Utah. Chuck will put you on the bike, and we'll do it, and we'll run it as a three way. Right, and so. He, he's like, okay, you know, just kind of like shy about it. Dude, we had so much fun. We were probably exhausted by the time we got to the track from riding mountain bikes, raced, rode mountain bikes, drove home. And he's like, Ben, one of the greatest weekends of my life. I mean, wow. you have to do it. Like, you know, it's weird, but like, you know, they make these funny little memes and they're like, no great story ever started off with, well, I was eating this salad. You know what I mean? It's usually the hold my beer and let watch this. So and that's truly the case. You got to, you got to go, you know, like when I got the phone call from Mickey Diamond, Ben, we're going to go race. We're going to go race across America. And you know what I was thinking? Shit, I'm turning 40. If I'm going to do that, I might as well do everything. So I had already done Cape Epic to race for five-time world champion there, Christoph Sauser and go work for him like a dog down in Africa. Right. But what an honor to get a race with Nino and all the boys. And I was like, Turn 40. I go, okay, Cape Epic, race across America. Then Dave's like, let's go do Iron Man. You got it. Iron Man's on. So I was trying to, I got that like uh, midlife crisis thing. I just started Hail Mary and everything. But I realized every time you're like, this is the most miserable son of a bitch I've ever been around. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. Everyone in the motorhome's fighting. Or you're doing Iron Man. You're on that last like 15 miles of the run. You're like, I'm never doing this again. But then, you know, when it's all said and done, a couple weeks go by and you heal up and you're like, man, greatest story of my life so that's why i try to tell people you gotta get out and do it like if your friend says let's go do something it's it's worth doing even though the struggle is real to do it you spend a bunch of money and time and you get hurt and yeah, that's 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 what really creates life and the same thing for this bagger thing I'm like yeah you know hope we don't crash and <laughs> wad, 
wad up their bike because the thing's beautiful. But at the same time, let's go out there and like ride to the ability of the bike and have fun. You know, my, my leaves have all grown back on my tree. Pretty, I'm pretty chatty these days, so let's go. <laughs> uh, okay, I got a quick Ben story. Um, one thing I could always count on with Ben, well, not always, but there was several times when like he would be the fastest guy <clears throat> basically the entire weekend, including the, the warm-up on Sunday morning. And then in the race, he'd get fourth, fifth, or sixth or something. And I'd go see him, and he'd go, Paul, <clears throat> I changed the setup. And I'd be like, Ben, why, why would you change the setup when you were the fastest? And then you obviously tuned yourself right out of the race. He, he never really had an answer. And then he did Ironman. And so I chatted with him. I'm like, what happened? And he said, oh, I cramped and blah, blah, blah. And he, he said, I, I, I drank something that I hadn't tried drinking before or ate something that I hadn't tried eating before. So basically, he's shown the ability to tune himself out of a race on a motorcycle. He's also tuned himself out of a race physically. Ben, what is your story? Why do you do that? Well, like, I, well, no, no, you don't overthink it. It's, it's called boredom. So what happened was I traveled with the late Andy Tresser one summer. Uh-huh. And like he just tuned himself out of every race, right? But Andy was a great rider and a hell of a mechanic. And then, you know, the thing is, I realized Andy would sit there and he just had to tinker with his bike nonstop. That would kind of get his nerves out. And then, you know, he'd go race it. And whether he'd tune the thing in or out, like he raced. And so I'd sit there and we show up on Friday, you're riding the same bike, whatever, it's working good. Saturday, same bike, it's working good. By Sunday, you're like, the bike's kind of boring. Let's make a change. And then it happens like, Because you're, I'm not, like, I love racing motorcycles, but at the same time, it's this little teeny fragment of your life, right? Like the rest of your life is, there's so much more to do that's, that's actually more exciting. Even though like a lot of us will say, oh, the best days are all behind us. That's not true. It it depends on what days you put behind you. And if you're doing Ironman and you're like, oh my God, I've been training for two months, eating like this, drinking that, this, that. Like the last one I did for fun with Nick's brother, I fly up to... What did I do? No, no. The one I did with Mira was hilarious. I bought shoes at the airport and went and ran. Dude, biggest mistake of my life. So then I go up to do Ironman Whistler and I show up and Chris is like, dude, you're taking the shoes out of the box? Yep. Never, never seen them, never worn them before. I'm going to try these out this time. Greatest shoes ever. So, you know, like it's, it just depends, but also I was running. I'm like, wow, these things feel different to run in. My feet were kind of stoked to run, which is odd. But like, I think boredom tunes you out of things because you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're like, I need a new drug. You know, if heroin's good, frack's better. Like, I don't, like I don't, you think it is, right? But I don't, it's just the way it is. That's the problem with human nature. We, you know, some people are cool. They're way, way smarter than me. They want to just sit there and win, win titles in the same category. And I was always like, I don't know. I had to go off and do this bicycle race. I'm going to try to, I'll try some. Maybe I'll try the X Games. I'll try this. I'll try that. Some super. It's like you know, you you spread it out because it keeps you kind of fresh. The smart guys, like they they hit it. You know, you see these guys that are just brilliant on the bikes. Whether it's the Marquezes. I mean, there's so many of them. The Valentinos, and they just, you know, they got a category. And then Valentino, he'll he'll drift off. He'll be like rally cars, you know, flat track and stuff like that. And I totally appreciate it because I'm I'm envious. I'm like he's still doing it. He's like 65 years old. He's like McGill Duhamel, and he's just killing it. And like, it's, it's awesome. And that the other riders will never see that. You know, when I would travel, here's the same problem that Paul just brought up. We go to South Africa, 
No one would find me. They wouldn't even see me until I showed up in Australia on Friday for the practice, right? And the team would get like bummed out. Where have you been? I'm like, dude, I was seeing the world. You guys are actually paying me to go see the world. And then, uh, then I'd stay in Australia and I'd be all over Australia. I'd probably see more of Australia than Paul. And then you go up to <laughs> Japan and I just stay there in Japan, just hang out for three weeks until we had to go to England. And you know, and that's, that's because you're really trying to like see and do everything because you realize life is just, it goes by in a blink. Mm-hmm. Okay, another, another Ben story. <clears throat> One of my favorite Ben quotes. I think it was Supermoto in Vegas. He just destroyed everybody. And kind of unexpectedly, I think, because um, these guys had, I think, been doing it a bit more. But anyways, he just destroys everybody. And I go up to him, I go, Ben, what's the deal with you? And he goes, you know, Paul, I wake up in the morning and he goes, I never really know which Ben Bostrom's going to show up. And today the good one showed up. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Wow. Right. It is, right? Paul, that's what Merlin's, Merlin always hated it because Merlin was awesome, dude. I love that guy. And uh, yeah. he would say, Ben, who showed up today? Right. Because, and I was like, I don't know. But, you know, like uh, when in 98, when I got that first super bike ride, he was excited to work with me. And then he realized, wow, this kid's kind of like, uh, he's either at the front or he's running 10th. Like, what the shit? And then Ducati realized it later, too. But like, sometimes it's your diet. And I try to tell people, like, I didn't realize I had a dairy allergy. So if I had time to eat a bowl of cereal, did it just haze my eyes out? I'm like, wow, everything's coming at me at 300 mile an hour. So I try to tell these new racers or people listening to the show, like, look, I got allergies. It's allergy season. Yeah. Get rid of the food you're allergic to. You know, like the little things make a big difference on your life. Hey, you're welcome. Right? So like, and the same for the, the bike racing. So I would show up and I'd miss breakfast because I'd get up late and I'd barely make it to the track. And then we'd go out there and be fast. And the next time I'd, I'd have time to eat breakfast and I'd make the mistake. So those things happen. And Merlin would, Eric, here, Eric Johnson was asking to write this article. And my brother's like, man, and he sends this photo of Ben winning World Superbike as a wild card year two. And he's like, I remember this day like it was yesterday. And my brother wrote back like, yeah, but you didn't see him the year before getting lapped on the RC45. And I had to write back like, hey, 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 I was in second place. They canceled the race. I got third. You know what I mean? Like that was a Ben showed up and I'll never forget this Merlin thing. Cause he's like, wow, one of our RC 45s is at the front. Even Honda was stoked. And I was like, I don't even know how, why we're up there. But Merlin goes, master, you have arrived. And I always thought it was the funniest saying. I'm like, not really. I just, I was just good today. I might suck next week. And then the, then as the season went, I remember Mathers, them sitting me down. We're winning Loudon as uh, you know, Bice loves Loudon. So that track, we crash out of the lead because I'm racing with Malad and I crash out of the lead. I pick the bike up. We still finish. I don't know. I got 10th or something. And because uh, that thing, as you guys know, the RC45 was indestructible tank. You could hardly break that bike. Ask McGill. Ah, eh, McGill would break. Eh, he'd break that bike. But, you know, that bike, pick it up, finish. And then I got sat down. Don't try to win anymore. You just <laughs> finish. We need that title, right? Now, here's the funny part of the story. It's great being able to tell this and like, who gives a shit later. But at the end of the season, right, who comes up and gives me the big hug? The same guy that's firing me, right? So it's Mathers. Oh, Ben, you know, I want to give this hug. It would have been the only year I worked for Honda that we didn't win a title because we didn't win a title in any category other than you on this uh, rookie season on a superbike. And I was thinking, didn't you just fire me last week? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's funny to see how people, people are. And I was like, you know, it, it's – Dude, it's just, it's just a bike race, to be honest. Like, you know, and that thing. And the next season, you know, we got on, we were fired. Dude, I didn't, I didn't even have a job. We were so lucky Ducati had a seat open. Our band would have been sitting on the bench, you know, with the number one plate. It's, 
it probably wouldn't have bothered me. Okay, I got to ask you how how did you how did the right Ben race wake up for six races in a in a row in World Superbike to win all those races in two thousand and in two thousand? Oh well, that's different. So, you know, we went over there, and I didn't I didn't know anything other than, you know, this is a great bike. Team seems super cool, man. They're a great group of dudes, and the bike would always crash me. And I didn't realize they were building the thing at uh, Troy Corser's bike. You know, it had this big old trail number, twenty four and a half head angles, and I'm like, what? I don't know, this bike won't even turn, right? It wasn't until I got fired later in the year that I got made friends with Gobert again. <laughs> and then Ernie sent the B team all my specs, just build the bike like that. And then the then the A team never beat us for the rest of the year. So the next year they go, Ben, you know, you can have your own team. What tires do you want? I said, I oh, will put Dunlops on those things, right? And then they were stoked because now we had Michelin and Dunlop. However, the two were very competitive. Like it as long as you're riding good, you could win on either tire and some tracks favored other tires. In that case, you know, it's that old thing when you start winning, I don't really change anything. I just go rock climbing all day. I'd, I'd just make it to the track. One time, Tardazzi didn't even let me ride the bike on Friday practice. He actually said, go back to bed. You're not allowed to ride. Show up tomorrow for qualifying. I was just like, God, this guy's unbelievable. But when we showed up, we were quick again. So Tardazzi was right, you know, because he put this thing there. It's quality, not quantity of laps, Ben. Go back to bed. So, you know, when you get on a little bit of a roll. Damn it, boys. I'm sorry. Ben was right in the middle of a story. Terry Vance calls me. It disconnects. We have to start over again, but not completely over. We have all the good stuff behind us. But anyways, I, I couldn't even tell you where you're at, Ben. You were talking about 2000, kicking everybody's ass, blah, blah, blah. So let's just I don't pick know. it up. It's easy. Dude, we, we could stitch it back together like Jack Skeleton's girlfriend, Sally. So. Bias, what's your, what's your question? Ask another one. Because I'll tell you, as a rider, like you just you can just ramble on. Like there's always something wrong with your bike. Even if you won, it's never good enough. You know, that, that's what we do. We cry, we bitch and complain. The mechanic, the bike's amazing. We're still like, it's just not good enough. You know, it's it's the way it is. That's why we're called riders. Well, I, I can't get over the karmic uh, stuff that's going on when, in fact, we started and you said you got a text or something from Miguel Du. Hamel and, and Paul just got a call from Terry Vance. So what are they all sensing that Ben Bostrom is in the air here and you know, they got to get in on it. I mean, I don't understand. They must be. I, I didn't, he would, he had no idea. I don't know what his deal is. He calls me every once in a while. Just today happened to be one of them. Yeah. That's weird, huh? <laughs> you know, it's, that it's is, wild. Cause that guy, that guy kind of, dude, I love that guy. He's, he just, Oh, I do too. He just kind of, he's just kind of loyal, straight shooter. Like he's different than a lot of, a lot of the people in the industry. They're not all like that. I'll tell you, but Terry was, he was great. And even like uh, when I wanted to ride again in America in 2000, because I was pretty disappointed that the bike let us down a couple races or Terry and I would have, we'd, we'd have had number one plate on his bike, you know? Mm. So the guy goes, look, look, let's not even badger about price. Here's how much I'm going to pay. You cool? I'm like, I'm cool. Okay, good. Let's go racing. You know what I mean? We didn't even, we didn't even bother talking to other brands. We didn't give them a chance. And, and then of course the Italians are like, actually that's, uh, that's our contract. And they, they, they swept me off and I was like, ah. Oh. Because I really wanted to ride for Terry again. Plus, I just wanted to go steamroll people, you know? But Terry, I was sitting there drinking with him and Jeff Fox one night at Jeff at Foxy's house. He's always bring a bunch of us riders up there and then those hardcore guys, which is about most of us, damn it. We'd stay out and like drink all night with them. But actually, Terry was up drinking with us too. And he was talking about this pipe thing, why you guys want to make these pipes. And I'm like, I don't know. My brother's got this crazy idea. And then look, every sport bike ended up with the same pipe on it, right? But like, you know, the thing is this. He goes, Ben... I want to ask you a question. You were talking about your eyes in the past. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this dairy thing. I never, 
realized it and I about quit racing bikes because sometimes, you know, things felt like they're coming at me at 300 and I need to come at me at 200 and 100 if I'm on a really good day, right? So he goes, yeah, yeah, me too. And uh, he goes, damn, I'll tell you the problem. I just went and had LASIK done because, you know, I realized, you know, I got this dairy allergy and I started working out again because I'm not getting any younger. And, you know, I got this guy, I don't know, it was like his coach or somebody, trainer, started feeding him these amino acids. I don't know if they're branch chain or essential or whatever, but they're a derivative from cow. So, of course, his eyes are jacked up. He goes, ah, I guess I'm just getting old. I'm going to get LASIK done. And as it turns out, after LASIK, he sees on the little thing, you know, made dairy product. How about that oh. for a kick in the ass? Wow. That's crazy. Right. So, I had, the, I had kind of this rare thing with a dairy to make my eyes blurry. Like, it was actually kind of hard to even read. Like, I want to order a Starbucks. What, what does that say? You know what? I'm supposed to go ride a motorcycle at 200 mile an hour. And so, it turns out Terry had the same thing. Now, now bring it way back. Let me tell you guys something. Back when I was a little grommet and I lived on this ranch with no, uh, no telephones, TV, there was no such thing as Wi-Fi back then. We rarely had running water and power. And, but on my wall, on my, literally above my bed, I had this big Suzuki poster and just said, works like single moving part to Ben Terry Vance. Now, can you imagine I'm growing up as a kid with that poster wow. staring at it every day? And then, you know, years go by and here he is. We're drinking at Jeff Fox's house because he's, my, he's the team owner. It's just the coolest thing. I don't know. That is I mean, the, the world's weird. These guys are texting. They're calling. McGill's texting me. And, dude, I, these are guys we don't – how often do you talk to each other? Be honest. Like once a year? Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. ooh, ooh, something's in the air, you know? Like, that's what's weird with humans, dude. We're, we're kind of connected. It's, it's a bizarre thing. There's some things you can't explain, and that's what's kind of great about it. I think, man, I should have died, like, uh, several times, but I'm still here. Uh, I guess I'm not done with, I got something else I have to do. And that's you just right. talk it up like that. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Ben was, ben, ben, ben was famous for being a, mo a good motorcycle racer. He's famous for being so laid back, as you can gather from this call. He's also kind of famous for missing flights. Ben, oh, yeah. wh what's the worst I've just totally screwed up and missed something that I shouldn't have flight story? Man, I mean, how many times? I mean, I can tell you, like, how many times? Because how I push much money to did you spend on, on fines, fees for that? Oh, it was brutal. I got to tell you guys a, a funny story because, like I said, doesn't even matter anymore, right? You can just right. tell it and like, dude, the Ducati boys, they, they could laugh. Domenicali and Paul, they'd get a kick out of this. But, you know, so I go ahead and I hire Mark Elder, right? And Mark and I, we're going to fly around and we're supposed to fly first class and that's what we've been given, right? And then it's like a paid back thing. So they're like, Ben, you know, you got to fly to these first races. So, and they've already estimated out. They go, that's about $60,000 to fly to these ones. And then, you know, we'll cut you another check every quarter for these flights. Okay, that's fine, whatever. Because I don't know what they cost. I'm not used to flying first class. I'm like a farm kid with no phone. And we drove to the races in America half the time. So Mark goes, Ben, they're crazy. Listen to this. I'm, my, my salary is going to be free. I've already, what's it called? Consolidator's ticket. He's like, dude, we're going to fly from here to South Africa. We're going to hang out there as long as we want. Then we're going to fly through Bangkok because who doesn't want to see Bangkok, right? And then we got to get our asses into Perth, Perth, over to Melbourne, Melbourne, up to Japan, and back to England. And I said, yeah, that sounds like 60 grand. No. He's like, it's going to cost like 1500 bucks a piece. And I was like, uh, what? What? I, and he goes, look, I've already pieced it all together. Here's what we're going to do. 
And so now, hilariously, because Mark and I, we didn't, we didn't care about flying in the front of the aircraft, you know. And half the time, I give that to like my mechanics anyway. So we we're flying in the back. And we're hilarious. And we're after a day in Bangkok and sweating our balls off. Like we're sitting in the back by the toilets next to this lady who's just like, I can't believe I got to sw- sit by these guys, right? And I remember going, Mark, I'll sit next to her because you're by far the sweatier of the two of us, right? <laughs> it, it, dude, it's a long flight. Can you imagine? So there, there we are. Here's the problem. At the time, I got this manager, Fred Bramblett, right? Ducati's like, where the F is this guy? And he's like, she's like, well, I got his itinerary right here. Why don't I send it? They're like, why don't you send it? So we know where he's at because they can't find me. They go, Ben, when I got back, actually, they said, we're going to give you a phone. We're going to turn it on. You're never allowed to shut it off. How about that? And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like very much fun. So what happens was that she sends it. They look at this consolidators ticket and they about shit themselves, right? Because they're like, whoa, he has to fly first class everywhere. That's part of our agreement. And dude, whoa, did I take an ass chewing? But that's the first time I really got in trouble for flights. But you know, in general, I was, uh, I've had some expensive ones where I can't recharge them back, but like I'll be building a climbing wall with my brother. I'm like, I need to stay because we didn't finish the climbing wall. And I'll just show up to Monza the night before my test. And then, you know, I go and I forget the ticket at home. It's all the way out of the ranch. It's two hours from LAX. And then you got the French going, you know, you're going to buy a new ticket. I said, dude, I got a paper ticket. They're like, that's right. It's a paper ticket. If you want to fly, you got to buy a new one. And we have a deal going right now. It's six grand for the flight. You can pay it right now or you can miss this flight again. I'm like, give me the flight. You know, and then like, I never get the six grand back because I never fly home to like go find the ticket. And you got like 30 days to turn it in and all that. So that's happened to me so many times. I always thought, man, Ducati got me back eventually because I've easily spent that money back reimburse, you know, on my own flights, like doubling up on flights. Oh, man. Um, ben, I have a question for you related to World Superbike. So we, I actually mentioned this to Garrett Gerloff this past year, and I don't know if you told me if I read it or if I heard it, but it was this difference from when you were in um, AMA Superbike and moved up to World Superbike. You had said it was an eye-opening experience for you because every single practice session, every qualifying, every lap of every race, you had to be on it 100%. You could never take any time off in your head or to think about stuff. You just had to be on it all the time. Can you talk about that quote? And and really, did, is that one of the things that kind of got you to that six races, six wins and five in a row that one year with L&M Ducati? Can you t- tell us about that? Hmm. I think... Uh... Yeah. Okay. That's 100% true. The biggest eye opener, I would say when I went over there, those guys would roll out like, you know, the bell goes, bing, tracks green. And there wasn't like, you know, like us, like kind of sitting there, we're putting on our helmet, you know, the mechanics firing up the bike and, you know, we missed the first three minutes and like, who cares? Right. And then you go out there and you roll around track looks safe. I feel comfortable. I think I'm going to go out and like send it this lap. You know what I mean? That's how, that was our attitude in America. Dude, I, I couldn't believe it. We get over there. The track's green, you're on the track, or they're literally kicking your ass out of the garage, which they call a box. And and those guys are wide open. The minute they roll out there, they're just banging through the gears like they're hitting a drag strip. And I'm like, all right, what's wrong with these guys? They're a little, little too uh, little too much coffee for these Italians. It wasn't that. It's just that they wanted to make use of every minute on the track. And at first I'm like, man, these guys are kind of crazy because you know, you'd see some horrendous crashes on like cold track, this, that, and the other, but they were up to speed and then I'd spend the whole session just trying to like even come close to like the 10th place guy, right? 
And then the next session would show up and I was a little closer, you know, okay, I made top 10. That's pretty good. I didn't have the sense of hurry like they did. They knew every minute counts. Qualifying is this afternoon. We want to make sure we don't do this in qualifying. And it was a, it was an eye opener. And that's what I wish, you know, there's some things you wish you can take back or have a little more respect for what they did for you. Cause I, when you're a kid, you're just thinking, Oh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'll, I'll get it eventually. But you know, the guy in a, the USA that was very good at it was actually Matt Maladin. That guy, he would roll out there and on his third lap, that was the, you know, he set the fastest lap of the, the weekend and none of us could touch it. <laughs> but right. that's, the, that's true too. And that was just because he had that mentality naturally. It just kind of built in like, I'm here to work. Let's go. That way when I quit, I'm done. You know, I don't want to race it. So that was fantastic to see. I, it, it, the work ethic was just stronger there. And I think you know, the racing meant more to him and it was, it was cool. So I try to tell everybody when you go on the track, yeah, you can roll the jumps or whatever you're going to do, or, you know, if you go out and have a one lap look and then start, you know, put on your business hat. It's time. It's go time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't ever think that racing a motorcycle was the most important thing in your life. Am I right? Yeah, you're 100% correct. It's funny you say that because I had another business friend that was said the same thing i'd quit and i was professional dad life and he sh he shows up i think he stayed at my house that night but he goes uh ben you know i'm gonna tell you something motorcycle racing never did it for you and i go what do you mean and he's like uh this is shortly after i retired and he's like you can just tell he goes but you're gonna find something like business that really stimulates you and he goes you know and he goes and you'll find it and he goes and i thought oh, that's a weird comment and so I think, unfortunately, that people could see it, but like, uh, I'll tell you, Ducati could see it for, for certain. They, they realized this, this guy's out here every night, the disco tech, and they shows up and has fun racing his friends, but he doesn't want to go test or anything like that. And that's, that's true. I actually loved racing my friends. Everybody out there was like this little circus and I didn't hate any of them. You know, it's weird that these guys would, some of the racers would, you know, I don't like that guy, that guy, I don't like that guy. Hey, he might ride dirty, but that's a, that's a pretty fun guy to go drinking with. You know, like there's certain people that you gotta, you gotta see what their quality is. They're not the coolest right. guy on the track. They're super cool off the track. And so I never had any enemies. And I remember Biagi saying that he goes, Ben, you're the only rider in the world that just gets along with anybody. Do you hate anybody? I said, not, not a one. And people be like, but how do you not, what about Matt Maladin? He like tried to run you off the track and steal a, steal a title from you. And then stole another one from your brother. And, and I was like, Matt's cool. Like, I'm fine. The weirdest thing that happened with Matt, I'll tell you, this one, this one gave me tons of respect for that guy. I'm on a Yamaha. I think it's 20, I don't know if it's 2009 or 10. We're racing at Sears Point, which is now called Infineon. And it's 110 degrees out. There's a heat wave. And I go, I've already put it in my brain. Like, I'm going to beat Matt on this track because he always wins here. Okay. And so I put in my head. We got there. I'm, I'm chasing him around. And I make this daredevil pass going into turn one, which you shouldn't do because I run us both off the track there. And, uh, you know, we make the pass and then we're leading and then I crash and pick the bike back up. They let me go out. It deflated Matt's balloon so hard. He basically quit racing. Boom. That's it. He's, he pulls off almost like he's soldiering around like 10th place. And I only finished 11th. Right. And I'm like, God, what the hell happened to Matt? And everyone's like, you popped his balloon when you passed him into turn one. And I said, okay, that guy's going to come back even harder the next day. Cause I've, I know this guy, right? And sure enough, day two, we take off at the front and I'm 
I'm glued to that guy because I'm like, I need one mistake and I'm so hot. I'm literally, I'm not seeing straight at the end. I'm seeing double. And I rode as hard as I've ever ridden in my entire life. The only time I've ever ridden with more sass is like losing an eight, winning an 883 race in the rain at mid-Ohio. Another, another track that Bice, Bice likes to move to the dangerous tracks. And so that race, I get off and I'm like, whoa. And I'm just kind of like, actually, I'm a little bit like delusional. And uh, Nikki was there and she goes, what do you need? I said, I need some salt water and a date. And I, and I, and I look at Matt and he looks pretty good. But you know, you can tell when somebody's like eyes are sunk in and you're just kind of weathered. And I talked to Josh Hayes and he's like, Ben, it was too, I actually over, overheated. I had to slow down. I said, dude, I overheated. I'm just too stupid to slow down. And then Matt <laughs> goes, and then, you know, the night before Matt and I were actually talking because Matt sends me a text. He's like, what are you up to? Because we both like failed, right? We're like, like 10th place finishers that day. And I go, I'm just watching this, um, this rabbit fence thing about these two girls that walked Australia. It's amazing. He's like, no, oh, you like that, do you? And I'm like, dude, I love it. Like, and I was, which is kind of funny, a guy that we're not supposed to like, and we're texting each other the night before this epic race, right? And then the race happens. Matt wins, but he didn't win by much. You know, he wins by a bike length. And he goes, Ben, I'm going to tell you something. That's the toughest race I ever won. And I want to, I want to thank you. I've never wow. ridden that hard in my life. And I appreciate that. And I was like, dude, that's respectable. I said, neither have I. And I lost. But like, so, you know, it's like everybody's got their thing. Gobert and I, everyone's like, oh, you must hate Gobert. But by the time we made it to Hockenheim, I was fired. Now he felt bad. Ben's lost his factory ride. We're both on these shitty B-bikes. You know, it's like uh, he came to bury the hatchet, apologized for not showing up, losing me a title, and let's go drinking. Dude, we got along just fine after that. And so, I, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their thing. It's, it's kind of hard to find somebody you don't like in this life. Okay, I got a follow-up. I got yeah. a follow-up question to the, to the question I asked you about you not completely making motorcycle racing your life. Do you, based on the amount of talent that you obviously have to race a motorcycle, do you have any regrets or do you wish you'd done anything differently or are you just pumped away with the way that it all turned out? Well, no, and it's funny you ask that because somebody else asked the same thing and, I, and I'll tell you the same thing I told them. I regret not putting more into it. I never trained. Training for me was like sex and drinking and I was like, let's go next day and I felt pretty fresh as long as I didn't eat breakfast. And, you know... As long as I was high on life, things went well. If I was kind of down or felt pressured, things didn't go so well, you know? And like, uh, even when we got the Philip Morris contract for Ducati, Paulo comes up and he's like, Ben, I know you don't like this track. It's raining, the whole thing. But he's like, we really need you to be on that front, that front row. And I went out there and I had so much pressure. Like, I put the thing on second row and I about crashed every corner. And I thought, this isn't fun anymore. And then I rode around and soldier around, got my ass kicked during the race, probably got 15th, 16th, 18th. I don't know what I got. And, uh, and this is in 2000 at Brands Hatch. And he comes to me and, he, and I was expecting him to say, okay, you lost the contract. We're, we got we to gotta let you go. But it was like, he goes, I didn't want to tell you we had the contract. I just wanted you to see what you do, basically. And I was like, oh my God. But <laughs> I would have performed way better if he just kept his goddamn mouth shut and just like gave me the contract. You know what I mean? But he's like, Ben, it's, it's bad luck to give you the contract ahead of time. And I, and I was like, okay, whatever. But, you know, that's it's, it's kind of weird how life pans out. I'll, uh, I think you guys have probably seen it. I've learned my lessons. I wish I would have put more into it only because those people – paid so much damn money for you to travel and play with basically race around with your friends on this traveling circus. And I wish I would have done a little more training, got some more nights of sleep and 
put a little, uh, little more effort forward. My brother was always way better at that than I was. I just purely relied on like, wow, it's, it, we're racing motorcycles. Like talent should carry you through, which is not true. You see the good riders, they're talented and they win. And if you look at like a true statement, it'd be like, you know, talent, <laughs> talent's not what wins. You know, what do they, what do they say? They say hard work beats talent, except when talent works hard. Right. Right. And that's when you see the superstars come out. Cause like, well, I actually have some talent and then they have some work ethic. Most guys with talent, no work ethic. This is just the, it's life. Boy, it happens a lot. It's true with, you know, so, so true with a lot of things. Um, hey, I want to ask you, we had gotten some uh, input from some fans with questions and some of them are really good. I'm going to jump around with these a little bit. Uh, this first one I want to ask you, I think I might know the answer to it, but I still am going to ask you. So East Coast Fives asks, back in your World Superbike days, you commented that you really jived with tracks that went left. Is this more of a joke or a real thing for you? Now, that was, that was actually a half joke. So everyone believed it. But the truth is, when I won that first one, and the track was going left, and we'd won on another left-handed track. But the second one, there people were like, "Hey," and I said, "That track goes left. It's easy." And it, when we go ride in the desert with my brother, I was actually faster on the right-handed tracks. But the fact is, on the left-hand track, you can drag the rear brake easily and kind of slide them into the corner and make it look all flashy, you know. But I, I just made the comment. I didn't like the track, regardless more than the right-handed track. It's just it was. Just something happened by accident. Boy, I was going to say, good. I thought because of your background in flat track that, you know, you're just more comfortable from flat track being loose on the rear end and, and you know, going left, I guess. So that's not, that's not the case, huh? No, no, that's not the case. I mean, if you look at someone like Larry Pegram, Jesus, that guy had like a effed up style on the right side, right? But like on the left, he was genius. So like we're, we're, we're just different. Like I didn't, I didn't care. I just said it to say it because it was funny. And then everyone just took it and ran, you know? <laughs> um, there was so this guy John P. Shannon actually he he had a statement after this question which I'm going to give it to you after I read the question because the statement leads into something I don't want to ask you again so all right this question is and and I would ask this to you too Ben it says will you and or your brother ever be involved with a Moto America team or are you okay moving away from the sport? Uh, I mean you know sadly I've always been okay moving away from any sport. Cause it's, everything's like a little blink in time. I feel like you've done it. And my worst enemy is like, like you guys said before, it's changing a bike or trying to do something different because you, you feel like you've done it and you've left, you know, Dan Fahey always said this and that was my brother's mechanic. And now he's in charge of Kawasaki there at Supercross. But he's like, Ben, you it's, I feel like when you've done something, you're over it. You've already done it and you're out. He's like, you never take the time to try to hone it in. I said, that's just how it's always been. If Eric and I couldn't climb that five twelve that day, we moved on. We tried a 513 the next day. We didn't work on the 512C. We never, who cares? Like we, we couldn't climb it that day, which is a very short attention span. And uh, we're the, damn, we're like the original millennials, right? These guys got a two minute exception. So that's, I mean, that's, that's me. It, it, it yeah. is, it is what it is. Like I, I would love when people ask for advice. Like if they ask, I'll give them all the time they want on the phone. And normally I try to like, dictate a little bit of nutrition and a few things that they should do. And then I try to give them the Ben Bostrom spiel, which is, uh, do what I say, not what I do. Right. So Ben, we, uh, part two of one of the questions that we got is somebody told a story about, uh, the guy, John P. Shannon said many years ago, you gave my daughter your third place medal at mid Ohio. It's still on her bedpost. And I wanted to ask you about that because I, we know or have heard 
stories about the fact that you would give fans trophies and and I always thought it was like, well, you didn't want to keep the third or second place trophy because you didn't win. But um, what's what's your philosophy on that? Is that true? No, that's a hundred percent true. Like, look, if I would have kept the trophy, it had been long gone, smashed in some dumpster somewhere. Like, but if you give it to a fan, you're always like, if it's just sitting there, somebody's like, can I have the trophy? You can have it. It's yours, right? Because they're, look, they're keeping it. That's amazing. They hung on to it. That's what I can't understand with any of these like riders. You know, you go to some of their houses and there's like this. Like kind of like this I love me trophy room. I'm like, dude, who, who dusts those? Like those are dust collectors. You know what I mean? They're, and they're stealing space in your house. Like what are you doing? You don't have a trophy. You don't have a trophy room in your house. Not a one. No. Not and a one. What like, about, dude, what about people, people walk to my house, bikes, and they're like, uh, I thought you used to be like an athlete. Like you did something. There's not a, but because they're looking around for like a photo, a trophy. It's kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did that. See, I don't, I don't relive it. I did it. Done. <laughs> what about bikes? Do you have? I mean, you have some bikes, right? No, no, that's where I. Oh. Can, which is hilarious too. I mean, at the ranch, like we we do, and I'll go out there and play with my brother a little bit and stuff like that because he's he's got a really cool, you know, like a horsepower school by EB, and that's that's the only time I I haven't ridden for five years. And one day I showed up to his track and rode, and I was like, man, that was a lot of fun, you know. And then and now, like once a year, I show up and do something. If we get some like you know, some characters out there. It's, it's great. The thing with the trophy, I don't like, you've done it, you know, like, you know, Johnny Cash is like, you know, there's like this time in his life and they're like, uh, you've been to this town. He's like, yeah, I believe I spent a week there one night, it's, but it's been done. You know what I mean? Like that's, that was, I, I don't, the, if the problem is if you always look back and remember that you don't move forward. You know, and the, and the thing I could say that's the saddest because I've had, you know, we've had some friends, you know, commit suicide and stuff, but you kind of see them rehash and old stuff before they do it because it's not good for you. You know, it's, right. you've done it. You were awesome. You're still awesome. Shit. But like, you know, start something new because the difference is humans need progression. You know, I don't care male, female, kid, child, baby. But if you don't have something you're kind of looking forward to and you're doing, creating, and a little goal for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, you know, life life goes downhill real fast. So like you gotta, ha you gotta have progression in life. Like that's what keeps you kind of young and stimulated. Otherwise you just, yeah, we crack. You know, that's, pro that's good advice for the sheltering in place time that we're all doing. I mean, it's kind of like you gotta have that light at the end of the tunnel or looking forward and um, I know I, I certainly feel that way. Um, I have, I have one, a story. This is more something that a fan said. They, it's not a question for you, but it kind of speaks to this idea of, you know, not keeping your trophies and just sort of, you got the memory and moving on. And I know your experiences in your life are, are what you cherish and value the most. So this guy, uh, GRM 288 says, not a question, but the Boston brothers are the nicest people. I had a hot dog with Ben when he raced for Ducati. He came to our little Ducati shop in Richmond, Virginia. My dad, brother, and I were sitting down having a dog, and he came and sat with us and talked like he and dad were old friends. I was trying to figure out where my dad would know a guy with pink, red and pink dyed hair from. And he, <laughs> he said if you could let him know he appreciated it. Do you, do you remember that dealer visit to the Ducati place? You probably don't remember the hot dog moment, I, but maybe. I don't remember the hot dog because, you know, like I wasn't too much of a meat eater. And I, I don't really touch right. that stuff. But like, uh, the, you know, every now and then, you know, if it's 3 a.m. and I got to have a hamburger, like I'm, I'm in. Let's, let's go. We got to get about 530 for this fundo, right? Let's go hit it. So, you know, <laughs> but that, 
I do remember the dealer visit. I don't remember the people so much. I remember the situations and, you know, a lot's happened. Let's say that, right? You know, like if you go and you're living and you feel like you've lived enough is when you've lived 10 lives, right? And I feel like I'm, I'm catching there. I'm about on number eight. So we're doing good. But if we, uh, if we go back to that moment, that makes me so happy. I got this other strange message years ago from this family and they said the same thing. And I never forget it. Cause they end up like getting me a little bit of trouble, but like they were, we were testing down in South Africa and, uh, things weren't going quite right. And I was a little bit mad at the tire manufacturer. Cause I was like, Dunlop needs a better tire. Right. And so we're going into the season. They brought me all these tires and not one of them was any good. And I was kind of mad. And I remember my guys are right on the triple clamp and I, I stole one of their markers and I rode on my triple clamp, which was F like basically F those guys. Right. And I, and I did to be funny because I'm like, okay, let's go out and ride my bike. So I was out there and I'm running around, having fun, just sliding the thing around because there wasn't any grip. And these spectators show up and they're watching and they're watching this private test. And he goes, man, Ben, you know, well, if you just want a home cooked meal, we'll feed you tonight. Here's my address. Dude, I showed up at that guy's house. Now I had to drive. Can you imagine driving, driving through like the, the cuts of South Africa? It was a little scary because everybody had these big armed fences and look like guards walking in front of their house. And I, you know, and I got there and he, the guy couldn't believe it. He's like, I can't believe it. You're here. And he's like, I said, well, I don't got anything else to do. I said, how about that home cooked meal? You know what I mean? And I heard from the guy years later, like it still blew him away that somebody would go do that. And I thought it, that's just human. That's just human touch. You know, now the funny part was I go back the next day and I, and I was faster and I was, we we're good. We we're fast. I think it's just cause you have a little bit of human touch sometimes. But I, when I show back up at the race, they took a photo of that triple clamp and they hung it over the fence. And this thing was like a, you know, it's this giant eight by like eight by 20 billboard. And I was like, oh my God. And then I got, and Ducati saw it. And they're like, that's, that's your riding. That's your triple clamp. I'm like, yeah, I did that. And you know, and it's hanging <laughs> up there, these drunk South Africans cheering you on. But that's me. That's, that's, that's part of what you're, why the love is so deep for you around the world. Um, hey, I want to, we're almost out of time and I, I know Paul's trying to wrap this up here, uh, but I wanted to just try to do a few quick rapid fire ones just to get a few more fan questions in. So maybe we can do them where you can just kind of give, give kind of quick answers. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just like almost like what comes to mind first, but who is your favorite rider to, to race against on the track? <laughs> that is that is tough because it was it was the ones that probably wanted to kill you. I, I love racing. I love racing Haga and Bayless. You know the, the other guys were a lot of them were. No one will say this was probably as nice as me on the track, and I never really got to race my brother. But those guys, like they they put the fight in the dog, and I I really enjoyed it. Okay, um, so we kind of we had Ben Spees on recently, and we asked this question to him and. Well, we didn't really ask him. It sort of came out. He pretty much said because of the way his personality is, he probably would have enjoyed and stayed in AMA Superbike his entire career uh, and never moved up. Do, do you, did you, for, comparing the two, World Superbike versus AMA Superbike, which one did you like better if you could make a choice or had to? Oh, well, it's, it's World Superbike. Those, those are truly some of my greatest years. Just because of the things that the shenanigans that went on around the race in the AMA, it was too clean cut. You fly home, you're back at home on Sunday night. You know what I mean? You fly out last minute and you're back home. You're just home. You're like, dude, I can always be home. I got 80 years to be home. 
in World Superbike, yeah. you're flying around these different countries, learning things you'd never seen, trying to speak that. What kind of food is that? And it was an, the whole thing was an experience. The racing was incredible because there was 20 guys that were going to beat you. And you come over to the AMA and there was five guys that were going to beat you, you know? So like it was, it's just a little bigger scale, but it, the learning process, it kept you on that, that progressive thing we were talking about earlier. You gotta yeah. keep the mind open. Young. Okay. So here's one. This is a little tricky. I don't know if this will be rapid fire, but I'll, I'll make this the last question that I ask you. Um, this, uh, Chris Corvin asks, what was your best ride and what track with that bike? So I guess he's saying, what was the favorite bike you rode and on what track? was your favorite track to ride it on i guess is the question oh man that is a that is a tough one the yeah. uh everybody's gonna expect it to be the ducati because they're like that thing you know but that bike you had to ride it rode best if you kept it the wheels in line and i usually like to have them hanging out you know so i'd purposely slide the thing around but like the the bike actually went fastest so you keep the wheels in line so i was never any good at it probably not the best rider on it but when I came home, when Honda built the new thousand in two thousand and four, that thing was incredible. The HRC bike that was probably the most fun bike I had ridden until until I got on Chuck Graves' little R six. I was like, man, this this thing's this thing's pretty dynamite. <laughs> I love that little bike. They they did what a bike should do, you know. It's just one of those things. You have all those great expensive bikes, you know. Even that that Honda, that thing was super expensive in two thousand four, but that little 600, you know, it's, I don't know what those things cost, if it's 15 grand or something, but that thing was incredible. Super fun to ride. Could, you know, it made you smile. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that time you, I mean, when you were at Daytona, that bike in night, nighttime and freezing cold and all that, but you probably, do you look back at that race fairly fondly, you know, that Daytona that night? I, I kind of do, you know, because I always look forward to the last lap and I'm like, oh man, 200 miles, like who can put up with this, you know? And you race around and you know, you're just racing the same guys. And then when there is five laps to go, okay, we've been waiting 195 miles for this. I mean, that's basically what it came down to. And so you, right. you go out there and you put in two big laps and that was fun. We had that opportunity, the same opportunity on the 2003 when I went over there and we're, we got McGill and Curtis and we're racing around and I see the white flag. I'm like, God, oh, we've been waiting 198 miles for this, right? Here we go. And like, I would try to have these huge drives. I'm going to save my tire. And I thought we had this thing won. You know, there's a little bit of, we hit a little lapper there. And I made a mistake in the chicane by going down to first. And I thought, man, I lost because of that. But that's, that's racing. You know, it's like, you got to, you got to put your time in. Yeah. That's cool. All right, guys, I'm putting an end to this. Hey, hey, hey wait, hold on a second. <laughs> Listen to me. I got, I got to tell you guys something real quick. Because you're gonna, you gotta wonder what's Ben's next chapter, right? There you go. Yeah. What is it? Yes. Yeah. Look, oh, now you give a shit. Now you, now you care. Okay. <laughs> so, so here's my thought. I've, I've been having too much fun, like creating like different supplements and stuff for 20 years. I got to put it out there for you. And then I thought, you know, that's probably not enough. And I got this phone call from NBC to go announce MotoGP. All right. And I said, yeah, I don't know. You know, and then this talent scout called and she was so brilliant because I'm like, man, it kind of sounds fun, but she put it right into me. She goes, Ben, here's the problem with ex-athletes. They don't do anything that scares them anymore. So my advice to anybody that's listening to this show, make sure you do something that scares you nearly daily or weekly or monthly, whatever it is, to make sure you still have a pulse. Because 
She goes, look, you've never been on live TV having to call shots. You're used to being on the other side of the mic. This is going to scare you and you're going to have to learn something new again at 45 years old. And I was like, wow, she's good. I'm, I'm pretty sold right there, you know? And then she goes, you know, you might want to do something later. You're still at 45. You have to, you got to double this life again to hit 90. And she goes, um, you might want to have a brand or do something else. And this is a good way to make yourself relevant. And I thought, mm -hmm. wow, she's good. I, I would hire her. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, I'm on, call them up, tell them, tell them it's a deal. <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's go. And then of course this virus happens and the whole thing gets canceled, but man, I was inspired. And that's, one thing I want everybody to understand, once you become complacent and you kind of know how to do everything, you got to change. You, you got to change. I don't, I don't care if it's a sport job, this, that, just move houses, move across the street or something. Like it's, it's kind of interesting. We become, what did, what did Evil Knievel say? Do you remember he always had those, those stupid quotes? He'd say, you know, about living in the gray zone, not being there. Or if he had, you know, if he made 33 million, he spent 35 and if God wanted me to take that with me when I died, he put handles on that money. You know, like those kind of things, they, they really keep your mind going and it's, it's important. So that's my, that, that's Ben's next chapter. Not that you guys cared to know, I had to bring it up. Well, here I, and here all the time I thought your next chapter was, was riding a, a Harley Davidson uh, road glide through this, the corkscrew at Laguna Seca. But you got more going for you than just that ride, which. We're going to be looking forward to seeing you do, by the way. Yeah, we can't wait hey, for that. Hey, that's for fun. That is that is so I can go out there and play with the boys again. I Like I told you, every time I go down to my brother's horsepower camp there on the little Kawasaki 140s, man, it's a hoot. And you feel really alive, you know? It's uh, back in the day, do you remember how that thing that would say when you're riding, you're living the rest of the time, you're just waiting? I kind of stole it from Steve McQueen. You yeah. stole it from somebody Steve else, McQueen. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know, like I put things like on my helmet to kind of motivate me, you know? And he's like, that that's that's truly it when you're doing something that you feel like you're living each minute is actually an hour right that's when you're really alive because the rest of the time sometimes those minutes man I, they, they drag on so that's my brother actually said it on sunday he'd be so alive on monday he'd be empty and i always thought eric you've nailed it that's because we're hanging out with our friends you're with the boys you're alive you got your team around you you're riding the greatest motorcycle on earth and then Monday shows up and you're like, just sitting at home. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's incredible. Like, you, like well, what am I doing? And unfortunately, I call that post-depression syndrome from like athletes. And you see a lot of these guys, you know, they're like, what's, and you see this happen. They, you know, drinking drugs or suicide because they're like, man, it's just never going to be that good again. So you got to be creative and, and make it that good again. That's the only way. All right. That's, that's a great philosophy. Very All right, good. Bostrom, we love you. And we thank yeah, you for joining us. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, it it was really a lot of fun, and we'll have to do it again. And whatever your next chapter is, I know it'll be a good one. But we're excited as hell to see you at Laguna Seca. And uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna can, be great. We get yeah. moved, Pat. We move past all the virus things, and we go right, motorcycle racing again because I know that's what we like the most. So yeah, yeah, I won't have that six foot roll. I'm gonna walk up and give you a hug. So all right, I look forward to that. All right, good. That'll be good. Yeah. All right, boys. Thank you. Right. Gentlemen, thank you.